when I'm at my most connected to who I am, it's not effortful. It's just, it's a radiance. It's like, I'm not trying to be, I just am. And when I show up without a desire to try to impress somebody and I just genuinely am connecting with them, all of that goodness comes out. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Today we hang out with Rachel, a woman that believes that too many of us live our lives on mute. She believes that we silence ourselves and our struggle with self-care, self-doubt, and self-compassion, that we're feeling disconnected in our relationships at work and at home, even that we may sacrifice our health and well-being in our quest to get ahead. She says that we get so used to living our lives based on what other people expect out of us that we don't even know what we want anymore. So Ron and I love this message and we're pretty sure everyone listening can take away some powerful ideas to maybe reflect on today. So here we go with speaker, facilitator, and founder of Unmuted. Here's Rachel Jerkenmiller. Rachel, we're so excited to have you in the Forge today. Um, I was poking around on your website, and I got to say, it looks pretty darn impressive. Let's start with that. Uh, what's the name of your company, and what, what exactly are you doing out there in the world right now? Yeah, so my company is called Unmuted. And for me, that means, when I think of what it means to be unmuted, I think of being kind of like joyfully alive and confidently expressed. And, and when I think of how that kind of connects to the work that I do, a lot of times I'm working with leaders and teams and I'm helping them connect with each other in a more um, effective and intentional way. I'm helping them to have more, maybe even have difficult conversations or to help them to be a bit more intentional and unmute things like appreciation and and gratitude and to speak up and ask for help when they need it and to speak up and ask for the opportunities and the support they need so that they can excel in their career because i think so many of us we silence ourselves um, emotionally we silence ourselves uh, in terms of our career aspirations and the dreams that we have and we end up in this spot where we just feel stuck a lot of the time and so what i do is i i see myself as a catalyst who kind of helps people get kind of unstuck and unmuted so that they can live so that they can live and lead more fully. And I, I, I love what I, I love what I do. Mm, you, this is, this is perfect timing, I think, for this conversation with what's going on in the workplaces, you know, 50% and even a Gallup poll that I read a couple of days ago said up to 95% of people are leaving their jobs because they're dissatisfied or they don't feel taken care of, or they just want to try something different. Um, you said a word that I love, which is intentional. And I think that has so much power behind it if and when people really understand what that means. And um, I mean, we all know what it means, but what does it really mean for a boss with a, uh, a couple of employees or people underneath them to have intentional conversations, do you think post COVID especially? What does that mean? Mm. So I guess when I think of the word intentional in general, like I, I do a, a workshop and a keynote called igniting about igniting intentional leadership. And it has a couple components underneath of it. One is um, consciousness or self-awareness. So I think first of it starts with the first part of it starts with 
being able to turn the mirror back on yourself and being honest about how you're showing up and how that's affecting other people. For most people, they're not willing to even start there. And so anything else they're trying to do after that, I think is gonna be less effective because if you're not willing to be honest with yourself <laughs> and not willing to be honest about how you're showing up to regulate yourself, um, to lean into your strengths, to get support in the areas where you need support, it's gonna be really hard for you to genuinely do any of the other stuff that follows, like show up with other, show up for others with, with compassion and with curiosity. I think so much of what makes a leader and a human in general intentional is somebody who shows up with genuine curiosity and in, in an interest and a desire to understand and to learn and to grow. Um, this idea of, you know, Carol Dweck's work right around mindset, this idea that we're not fixed and that we have the capacity to grow and to change and to transform. And so when I think of a leader who is intentional, I think of somebody who has the willingness to turn the mirror on themselves, somebody who whose foundation is rooted in curiosity and a desire to learn and grow, and someone who really pours into other people and has the humility to show up with compassion and care. It's this idea, the shift for me, this model of command and control old school model. For me, the model is connecting care. So how do we shift from command and control to connecting care? Because that is why people stay. People stay with leaders that they feel connected to. They stay with people that they feel care for them and listen to them and appreciate them and value them and give them opportunities to grow and support them. And so when I think of this is needed now more than ever, it's needed now more than ever. And even um, Gallup, you mentioned Gallup, they did, they published this in the book, Strengths-Based Leadership, where they talked about the four traits that that followers need most from leaders. They need um, uh, trust, stability, compassion, and hope. And compassion, right? We need now more than ever leaders who are willing to say, hey, how are you really? How can I best support you right now? What am I doing that's working? Is there anything I could be doing better or differently that would make life better for you? Like, these are humbling questions to ask. They take a lot of courage to put yourself in a position as a leader to do that, but I think the leaders who are genuinely willing to take those steps, to ask those questions, and to act on the feedback they receive, I think those people have the potential to be the most transformational and powerful leaders. Yeah, oh, beautifully Ooh, said. Yeah, yeah that, that's good stuff. Uh, I think Tara and I agree with you 110%. Uh, I feel like it's a new, you know, this has been going on for a while, this paradigm of, um, Maybe treating people like, you know, the, the word cogs in a machine, you know, I think COVID is, is made it so people are tired of that. They're saying no more, not doing this anymore. And I think leaders need to get the message that we need to start being human. We need to treat our people as human. And I think that is going to be a big, that's going to be a big switch. Don't you think? I mean, it sounds like from your words, that's exactly what you're saying. Is that, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the language that I use is we have to we have to be willing to connect with and get to know and support the soul behind the role. Mm. So, so it's a shift, right? It's the soul behind the role because there is a soul behind every single role. And I think historically, mm. to your point, Ron, companies have gotten away with just treat you are a role. You are a role. You are a title. You are a list of responsibilities and tasks. And that is how we see you. You are a cognitive machine. And I think more than ever, as people have gotten connected to a deeper sense of meaning and purpose over the past 18 months, and as they've come to have this opportunity to reflect in a way that they never maybe took time to before, they're thinking to themselves, my goodness, I want my life to matter. I want to feel like what I, what I do means something. I want to feel like I'm spending time with people that, that make me feel like I matter, that listen to me, that value me. And life is too short 
to spend time just chipping away until we can get to retirement at which point most people are so darn burned out and miserable they can't even enjoy their life anyway like we we have to shift the model for how we're doing things so yeah i think absolutely that like now now is as good a time as any for leaders to really get honest with themselves and to recognize that things have been changing and they're going to change and if you want to really be a leader who's going to who's going to forge ahead who's going to be effective it's going to require some serious self-reflection and a willingness to shift the hard yeah, question is how do you tell or, or not tell but how do you engage a leader that says Rachel, that all sounds really great, except I'm not trained in how to do any of that. And I'll be honest, I am burned out myself. I'm disengaged myself. I don't have a leader that is caring and compassionate for me. How do I now care about the 20 people under me when I also am having the same engagement problems? And then how do I even do it? What do you say to a leader like that about how to start or why? Yeah. So one of the things that I do, I mean, I'm working with a company right now, they have about 150 leaders, this is in the Midwest, and they're in financial services company, right? So mm -hmm. predominantly male dominated workforce, very analytical, very technical. That's most of who I serve, accountants, engineers, for whatever reason, <laughs> the people that are drawn to me are like highly technical, left-brained, um, uh, cynical, skeptical people. Yep. So I get to play in this sandbox a lot. <laughs> And the thing that I find more than anything, and some of the, the feedback that I've seen from these folks is that nothing normalizes the fact that they're feeling that way. Very little normalizes the fact. They think I'm the only one who oh, feels yeah. like I can't figure this out. I'm the only one that feels like I'm dropping the ball in this area. I'm the only one. And what I do is I facilitate conversations among them and I have them share, you know, tell a story about a time where you, um, you know, experienced, uh, appreciation at work. Tell us about a time you really felt deeply appreciated at work and they get sharing stories with each other and they start to realize it's, it's not me telling them or it's not me telling them you need to appreciate people because, you know, I do give them some of the stats for people that like that stuff, but it's more of we transform most through our experiences of reflection, connection and discovery. Like that's when transformation, those are the things that catalyze transformation, not me just telling somebody. So part of it is getting people into community with each other and having them share these experiences and stories with each other. Of, tell a story about a leader that really had a positive impact on you. And as you're hearing other people tell stories, you start to realize hmm, none of those people said, oh, they were super authoritative and they told me what to do and they limited my time and they tried to control me. I've never heard those stories because they don't happen. So everybody knows how to be an effective leader, right? So this idea, everyone knows how to do it. Everyone has an example of someone that they've either, either read about or seen or heard, even if they don't know them personally. And so one of the things that I, that I invite, a couple of things I invite folks to do that's very, that are very practical. One is with the people that you work with most closely to ask for and act on feedback, because that is one of the ways to build trust quickest. There was a, a study done called the Zenger Folkman study that was um, done of over 51,000 managers over a course of 10 years. So big data set. And what they found was that warmth was a greater predictor of leadership effectiveness than competence was, but the best leaders were warm and competent. And right. warmth is really a measure of like ability and, and trust and all of that. And so what they found was that, that asking for and acting on feedback was directly correlated with likability. And so one of the things I encourage leaders to do from the get-go is to ask for and act on feedback. Two questions. What am I doing that's working? What, if anything, I'm doing that's working? in this relationship, right? One-on-one, -on -one, having these conversations one-on-one. -on -one. What am I doing that's working? What, what's going well? 
Is there anything I could be doing better or differently? If so, what is it? And so those two questions, starting with those two questions, genuinely listening to the feedback we receive and genuinely considering, hmm, noticing the themes that emerge, very likely if you talk to multiple people and ask them those questions, there's gonna be certain themes that emerge. And so if you're feeling stuck to say, okay, well, what is one, what is one thing I could do that would improve our relationship together? What's one thing I could do that would make life better or easier for you in this relationship? And even prefacing it with, I realize I haven't asked for this stuff before and it might seem like this is disingenuous or that I have an ulterior motive, but I really do want to get better and I'm probably going to stumble a bit, but I do want to know what could be done better in this relationship because I, I, I want us to have a really optimal working relationship. And so if you could, that what creating that level of humility requires such courage, but is the is one of the quickest way, ways to get someone to trust and connect with you. And so few leaders are willing to do that. How does that work with your, your financial accountant left brain uh, leaders? <laughs> well, they like, they like the script. Okay. I find that when we have a script, it gets yep. us a bit more out of our emotional brain because so much when we're like, how do I have this conversation? That's emotionally taxing. But if you say, just literally use this phrase <laughs> right. over and over again with people or ask, there's another thing I do. It's, this is a process that I learned out of the university of Michigan called the reflected best self. And you get, you, you know, jot down a list of the names of eight to 10 people in your life that know you fairly well. And you ask them to share a story about a time they've seen you at your best. Tell me a story about a time you've seen me at my best. I give them a script for how to do this through email. So I'm like, you don't even have to talk to them. You can literally just send an email. Here's the subject line. Here's the text. Right. So I find that it distills a bit of anxiety when you take the, how do I do this part out of it? So a lot of the times what I'm doing is I'm giving them the, here's how you do this. <laughs> and so then they don't really have an excuse to, to not, it, it's sort of as many barriers as I can remove barriers to entry, the more likely somebody is to do it. And I, you also can't force someone to, so you, we can lead a horse to water, but at the end of the day, they have to have a desire to want to grow and change. And some people aren't willing to do that yet. And some people get to a crisis point or some people get to the point where they get fired or leave before they start to realize that something needs to change. And, you know, there's not a set process for how it works, but those are some things that I have found to be actionable and helpful for people to get, to start with that step of self-awareness and getting some clarity. Yeah. And I would say I would echo vulnerability. I mean, it's tough, right? A lot of people really struggle with allowing themselves to be vulnerable. And I think it, it certainly ties into this idea of the name of your company, you know, being muted. Uh, if I don't speak up, it's much easier, right? I, I don't have to put myself out there if I, if I just stay quiet. And I see certainly with my coaching clients and probably Tara's as well, I see people want to just be quiet and, and not be, you know, not speak up. Uh, what, what's your advice for that? I mean, how do we, especially for young people and, and, uh, you know, young women that are trying to get into the world of leadership, how do they make sure that their voice is being heard in the right way? Any, mm -hmm. any advice on that? Yeah. I talk about this a lot. I do a lot of work with women's groups, um, around this topic. And so one, I would start with the thing that we were just talking about. So I start with do you have clarity around what your strengths are? Because if you can get clearer and have greater confidence around what it is that you do well, it's much easier to enter into a conversation where you're putting yourself out there because you're more grounded in the reality of what you're best at. Most people 
especially women are afraid, oh, if I find, I ask people for stuff like that, then I appear self-serving or I look like I'm selfish or I look like I'm bragging. No, you're not. Like <laughs> that is something that if I could find anything that's just like ir irks me so much, it's, it's that, it's this idea of, you know, don't do anything that resembles tooting your own horn because you are selfish and self-serving. And I think that is just such a shame because as a result of that, people don't get or seek the feedback that they really need to help give themselves the confidence to move forward. So one, I would say getting clear. So I'm a big advocate of, you know, I don't like to use assessments to define ourselves, but I'm a big advocate of strengths finder of like the Cl Clifton strengths work. Um, there's a tool called predictive index that I found really helpful. I mean, there's so many, there's so many tools out there. Um, but, you know, using some of these tools and getting feedback from other people around you, again, using that reflected best self to find out what it is that you do well um, is a place to start. And then also reminding yourself. So one of the things I guide people through a conversation around is tell a story about a time where you advocated for yourself and it had a positive impact. Any any time, sorry, any time ever, right? It could have been it, it could have been 10 years ago. It could have been when you were 12 years old. Like, I don't care. But any time where you've advocated for yourself and have had positive impact. If you can't think of a time where this applies to your life, share a story about a time you advocated for somebody else. You can't think of something like that. Tell a story about a time you saw somebody advocate for themselves and what happened. So as people connect to that, they start to remind themselves a bit of, oh, okay, I may not do this a lot, but I'm capable of doing this. Or gosh, I, I, as I hear this other person share their story, I see myself in that. You know, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I could do that. And then I challenge them, what is the smallest step you could take? What is the smallest step you could take to move closer to who you want to be again, thinking of unmuted as being confidently expressed? What is one small step that you could take, whether it's a conversation you could have, feedback that you could be asking for, positioning, your, positioning an idea that you have, asking for a growth opportunity at work, saying, hey, I want this, I'm pursuing a training that you want or a conference that you want to go to, you know, and positioning how it's going to not just help you, but how it's going to help the business. I, I, I learned that when I was my mid twenties, I wanted to go to national wellness conferences. I mean, that's the space that I've been in for 15 years is really well-being and employee engagement. And I made the case for, Hey, what I'm going to learn at this, this conference isn't just selfishly for me, but I'm going to learn here. I'm going to bring back to you and I'm going to incorporate into what we do internally. And I'm going to share it with our clients as well. So it's always about kind of that, that the, the win-win of, how is this going to help you grow? Great. That's important. But this people are running a business. If you're working for somebody else, they're running a business and they, they are concerned with, with revenue. And so how can you show them how, what you're going to learn is going to come back and benefit them or their clients or the customers they serve. And so, I mean, those are a couple steps. I'd yeah. Sounds like reframing, right? How, yeah. how do you tell the story? Um, great. Love it. Good advice. I have to know what your strengths are, Rachel. Fine. Yeah. I retook it. So when I first took it four years ago, um, achiever, strategic ideation, significance, activator. Say that one more time. I want to yeah. <laughs> visualize. Yeah. Yeah. I'm visualizing that achiever, strategic. Okay. Ideation, significance, activator. Oh, this is good for the work that you're doing. Uh, <laughs> Tell us, I mean, it's perfect as I'm visualizing it. I'm like, I could see how you do some, make some real impact with the work that you're doing. Tell us how this started. Um, this, this business is, I believe a, a couple of years old. Mm -hmm. How did you, what's your why behind why you started doing this kind of work and how did you get there? Hmm. Well, I was raised by two solopreneurs. 
So I grew up in a home where it was normal to make up what you did and find people to pay you for it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I was like, oh, that's what work is. Okay. Um, I didn't have this view of work that it was like something you had to like slog through and just like endure until you get to 65 and then like somebody else is controlling. I just never had that model of work. And I thought, you know, imagine what happens when I enter the workforce. And I realized that is actually most people's model of what work should be. (laughs) How disillusioned. Um, But I grew up in a home where I just had this expectation that I would do purposeful, meaningful work that I would enjoy because that's what I saw my parents do. And so I, I worked for an employee benefits consultant for 13 years and I was very entrepreneurial there and I was bold. I mean, I'll be honest, there were times where, you know, I, I definitely would position myself to get trainings or to get certifications or to go to events, conferences, um, to grow myself. And I also showed how it connected back. But I discovered that I, gosh, it was probably in 2009, I started to get asked by my alma mater, which is a small liberal arts college near where I live. They asked me to come speak to a group of master's students in the human resources master's graduate program. And they had one unit on workplace wellness. And I'm like 25. <laughs> like, what do, what do I really know about anything? You know, and they bring me in as a guest lecturer. And I got paid 75 bucks and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I just got paid $75 to talk. Like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> and so I feel like I kind of got the bug then. And then I started, you know, having conversations with clients. I think just in conversations, they would sense some degree of inspiration and they'd be like, hey, we're having a manager's event, manager's meeting annually coming up. Do you, would you like speak at that? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. You know, so I, I would just, you know, talk about things that I felt were relevant or meaningful. And then, and looking back, I found a document that I created in 2016, I want to say might've been before that, that I shared with my boss, who was the CFO. And it was, a, and it, this would be something anybody listening could do by the way, for themselves. It was a list of my highest payoff activities. So these are the things that only I can uniquely do and that I do really, really well. And then I had a list of my energy vampires. <laughs> These are the things that suck the life out of me. And here are the elements of the energy vampires that I would like to either completely get rid of or that I would like to delegate to somebody else who that does not require my specific skill set to do. So anyone listening, I would encourage anyone, anyone that's with us right now to, to really think about what are your highest payoff activities? One of the things that you uniquely do that you do really, really well that energize you, that bring value. And then what are the things that suck the life out of you? Like try to minimize that list on the right. And one of the things I put on there was the thing I liked to do the most, this was five, six years ago, was speaking. That was the thing I liked to do the most. But I was also doing consulting. I was a consultant. I was the director of well-being, and I was helping to structure all the stuff. And I was like, but the thing I really just want to do all the time is speak <laughs> and train. That's what I love. And so little by little, I had colleagues that were like, Rachel, have you ever thought about like going out on your own, starting your own business? And it's sort of weird to like have your coworkers ask you that and be honest, because... <laughs> You're like, how, how truthful can I be here? Um, and then I, I went through, I was at this conference in San Diego in the fall of 20, in summer of 2018, ran into a guy named Clay Abair, who is a speaker. We started talking. He was just like at the bar with the group that I was with. I didn't know him, but I heard he was a speaker. So I asked him, I said, hey, if you could recommend any book or something for someone like me who wants to speak more, like, what would you recommend? So he goes, have you heard of a book called Steal the Show by Michael Port? And I said, I do not know who Michael Port is. He goes, okay, 
well, get that book. They have programs and courses that can guide people through speaking. So I said, all right. So before we left the bar, I ordered the book on Amazon. And then I started to look online at their stuff. And I was like, gosh, they, it was expensive. So I was like, I don't know, man. Like, you know, I, I'm working for somebody else still. I, I don't know how much growth opportunity I have. These are big, big numbers. I talked to their team. They were having an event in Philly. I live in Baltimore. I was like, can I swing this? So I paid for it myself. I went on, I got on a train, went to Philly for two of the three days of their live event. It was called HPS Live, Heroic Public Speaking Live. Last time they did a, a live event, 500 people at this thing. I was mesmerized. Like I was so drawn into everything that they were doing. And we were doing master classes and these side things. And I was like, oh, this is this, this is what I need to do. Like, this is it. And if all these other people around me are doing this, like, I think I'm capable of doing this. And it was the last, the second day, end of the second day, and they made a sort of like an altar call, right? To get people to sign up for their program. And my heart, you've ever had this moment where your heart is literally beating out of your chest and it is like moving for you. Like you're not even of your own mind at that time. You're just like, your soul is guiding you to something. And that's what happened. And I called my husband and I said, do you trust me? <laughs> this is a lot of money. And I know my company's not going to pay for it. Like, and I did it and I signed up. And that program was the catalyst for me that got me in the company of other people that do this full time, that gave me the confidence to pursue this on my own, to connect singing into my speaking. That was part of that as well. And it was, that was the beginning of the end and the beginning of the beginning, you know? of having me realize this is what I have to do. And so I had the conversation in May of 2019 with my boss to say, hey, September 1st, I'm out. Um, wow. Yeah. I've, I've read the book, Steal the Show uh, by Michael Port. Wonderful book. And I've come that close to signing up for a heroic public speaking that he puts on. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out for maybe in the future as well. So it's good to hear that you say it's, it's a good program. Um, this is, I think it's kind of ironic that your background, you, you talk about this on your website, uh, you were, you always wanted to be, and I'm going to put it in air quotes, the good girl, you were an overachiever and you kind of just kept, I don't know, maybe I would say kept your mouth shut, just kind of did what you needed to do and was quiet. And now look at you, you're a speaker, you know, you, you sing, uh, how did, how did that transition? Well, number one, what you know, that sounds good, you know, being a good girl and being the overachiever sounds like a good, that sounds like, you know, isn't that what every kid wants to do? But you kind of made it sound like maybe that's not such a good thing. And so tell us, number one, wh why was that not good for you? And number two, how did you, outside of just going to, you know, that, that seminar, how did you find your voice, maybe your confidence mm -hmm. to, to, again, not only public speak, but also sing? Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I think for me, so much of the good girl mentality and, and just way of living came up because when I was younger, my parents were struggling in their marriage and I kids internalize things in different ways. And I internalize that as well. That's a bit of a mess. And so I'm just going to be predictable and be good and follow the rules and stay in line, and get good grades and have good friends and not get in trouble. And that's what I did. But deep down, I mean, I even think about five or six years old as this hap as this is happening, you know, my parents are going through this difficulty in their marriage. I struggled to feel like I fit in in school. I didn't talk to anybody about any of it. I just internalized it all. And I had a bunch of different health issues. I had acid reflux for 10 years as an adult because I literally oh. feel like I had a suppressed fire in my belly that was like, let me wow. out. 
And, you know, so a lot of my challenges psychologically, I think manifested themselves physically. I had chronic issues with strep throat, um, a lot of things around my sore throat, laryngitis, bronchitis, um, things that affected my sinuses and my voice. And so to me, that that was very almost had kind of like a spiritual significance of like, you're not letting something out, Rachel. And for me, part of that was singing. I loved singing from the time I was really little, five years old. I would sing. I would shut myself up in a room and in my parents' house and put on these big headphones that probably contributed to some of my hearing loss. <laughs> and I would just sing for hours. And it was a, a space I felt so free. I felt freer doing that than anything else because I often felt just Catholic school uniform, stay in line, but, you know, just, I was very much a rule follower, but when I was singing, I felt so liberated, but I didn't feel liberated enough to let other people into that. So it was very talking about, you're talking about vulnerability around earlier. I didn't feel comfortable being vulnerable, letting that part of myself really show up in front of people because singing is such a personal thing and it is very vulnerable to to sing. And, and so I didn't feel comfortable doing that. And it wasn't until I um, studied abroad in Spain in college and came back from that experience of what I, that really unlocked something in me and ignited something in me because the culture is so alive and vibrant that I came back from that. And that's when I tried out for my first solo and gospel choir in college. And um, from there, I had a solo every other semester and music is how my husband and I first connected. And and so it just became something that was like a release for me. And I saw the impact that it had on people and what started to happen is I felt like it's not you, it's not up to you, Rachel, to judge whether or not this is good enough because the response that other people are having to the words you're saying and what you're sharing with your voice, singing or spoken word or written word is affecting people in a positive way. It's not for you to judge this. Like, and, and so I, as I started to realize that, I started to hear people's stories of transformation. People were leaving their jobs. They came to a session on burnout that after I burned out in 2017, the good girl mentality of just, you know, keep it all inside. Just, I kind of imploded, you know, and I burned out and got mono in 2017. And that experience was a catalyst for me to begin to ask for help, to get the support that I needed to speak up about um, what I wasn't was and wasn't going to do, and that again started me on that trajectory of seeking something next, and that's what got me to go out ultimately, you know, on my own. So I really feel like it's been this it's been this progression, this idea of so many people have this belief that our that our value and worth is connected first and foremost to the degree to which we can achieve and accomplish and impress people. And I have bought into that for so much of my life. And I still find myself in that trap sometimes. Like it is deeply embedded, a sense of if that's how you find value and find identity and, and, and found a sense of connection, my goodness, like, of, of course, that's going to affect you as an adult. And so it's one of the reasons I see a, a therapist how, every week. <laughs> how do you find value now? How do I find value now? <sighs> that's a great question. Um, well, one... I find what I've come to realize is that who I am, this has been so much of my journey, who I am, like the, the act of me showing up in a space, regardless of whether or not that impresses people, like my, my presence, and I'm not saying this with arrogance, I'm just saying this with conviction and honesty, that I believe, my shirt, choose to shine is my <laughs> shirt, that I, I wear these shirts a lot, um, that I believe that I 
when I'm at my most connected to who I am, it's not effortful. It's just, it's a radiance. It's like, I'm not trying to be, I just am. And when I show up without a desire to try to impress somebody and I just genuinely am connecting with them, all of that goodness comes out. Mm. And so I've, I'm still working through it. I'm still learning how to find my value outside of my work. For me, I see it in relationships with friends. I see it in interactions with strangers that I have where I can help somebody feel seen, you know? And, and um, so I think for me, a lot, of, a lot of my value is just where I find value and identity is knowing that I was put here for a reason, that, that nothing that is meant for me will pass me, that I will be put into the situations that I am meant to have impact and be a catalyst for transformation. And I'm, I'm really trying to just trust that more and to really lean into the people that know me when I'm not performing at all and listen, try to listen to them a bit more. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard. I'll be, it's hard. I'm not going to pretend like, oh, I've arrived and I figured it all out because that's just BS. <laughs> um, but I'm, but I'm committed. I'm on the path. You know what I mean? Like I'm on the path to helping other people find that too, that they have worth outside of what they accomplish at work, that their being, that their presence, that just being with another person has value. That's a long answer, but that's because I'm still figuring it out. That's where I am. Beautiful. No, it's, yeah, it's good. And I love that you're vulnerable enough to, to share with people that you haven't arrived. And this is not about arriving. This is about getting on the path, yeah. right? Getting off the, the, sedentary path and getting on the moving path. And it's, it's, it, you're still trying to figure it all out, even though you're out teaching it. And I think there's an, a very important message there. Um, and I think if, if you're listening and not watching the uh, YouTube of, of this podcast, Rachel, your authenticity and what you're saying does shine through. I'll, I'll say that. So it's, it's, it's great to see that. I do want to get back um, in a minute to asking you a little bit more about this, this thing that we do. And I think all of us know it where we mute ourselves mm -hmm. and it can come out in physical manifestations, physical problems. Mm -hmm. Um, but would you be willing to share your voice with us first? Oh. Uh, we've never had the honor of someone singing on our podcast and Ron, are you cool? I want, I would love to offer her yeah. the stage and hear her sing. <laughs> And I'm laughing because if you're not watching it on video, Rachel's getting ready. She's taking a drink. I, I assume that was by design. Yeah, I, I don't blame her. And yeah. you're, the, this is all you write your own your own lyrics. Is that correct? Or are you going to sing something else? Oh no, I, I'll sing a familiar song. I'm still oh, wonderful. New to song. Okay. Yeah, I'll sing a familiar right. song that people will um recognize. So if we're talking about unmuting ourselves. And I'm wearing my choose to shine. I wear like a dozen of these shirts. I don't know. I just <laughs> randomly picked this one today to wear choose to shine. So one of the things that I believe in is in like in, in letting whatever light is within you, right? To let let that shine. This is a song that's familiar to everybody. I would imagine. Um, and so we'll do a little snippet of that. Okay. So here Perfect. we go. Mm -hmm. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to 
gonna let it shine this little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine let it shine let it shine let it shine Woo! <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that, there, there, is that your moment, Ron? Is that where the hair no, stands my, up? Because it's on. My, on, hair, just, on... <laughs> my hair just stood up. Yeah. That, that Thank cool. you so much, Rachel. You have an incredible yeah. voice. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad we made sure you did that. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, that so, is cool. That's hard. I mean, you're you're uh, you're singing in front of two people you you just met, and obviously <laughs> listeners that you don't know. Yeah. Um, so talk to us more about like what you were saying when you're pushing down your voice and you're not saying what you want or you're not being who you want to be. What does that feel like, and how do we get out of it? Mm. It feels constricted. It feels stuck. It feels um, small. It feels like you're holding your breath. Um, I'm curious for either of you to weigh in on this. What, what does it feel like for either of you when you notice that you're suppressing? Whew, I will get really uh, frustrated. Like everything starts frustrating me. If mm. I um, drop my car keys or if I can't find a pen, I'll be like, I'm like, whoa you're really frustrated right now. And I know that's what it is. And I'm like, where am I keeping my voice unheard? Mm -hmm. That's the first thing I go to. Mm -hmm. What about you, Ron? Yeah, I, I would echo that. Yeah, I mean, I call it, I think it's the same as what Tara's saying, but agitation, I, you know, mm, yeah. you get agitated with seem, seemingly everything. And that's because of training. That's my, that's my cue to say, pay attention. There's a stressor deep down that, that's causing that agitation. And a lot of times I think people are not sure what that is and they, they just ignore their agitation. You know, that, that person cut me off in traffic and they get mm -hmm. agitated with that, but they don't realize there's something deeper there. And I think it goes back to what you said, Rachel, is we got to have self-awareness to notice that and then go, okay, I'm going on a little bit of a, uh, a mission to find what is bothering me because yeah, like Tara says, you feel misaligned. You just don't feel right. right. You don't, you don't yes. feel like yourself. Yeah. You feel like you're almost living out of integrity, right? Because you're like, there's this, I'm a two, you feel like you're like a dual mask, right? You're like, I'm wearing yeah. this one mask, but I'm really feeling this other thing. And it is exhausting to live in that kind of dual identity. And so one of the things that I invite people to do is kind of think about their life across a couple of different buckets. So how might I be muting myself in my body right now? What are symptoms that I've noticed? So for instance, for me, when I had a dream that I was drowning six months before getting diagnosed with mono, that would be like your body telling you something. Um, <laughs> word to the wise, you have a dream you're drowning, you may want to reevaluate some things in your life. <laughs> Good advice. Right? It's your subconscious being not so subtle. Yeah. Um, and so I, but I didn't, you know, I just kept going and I went to a doctor and he was like, you're doing too much. And I was like, nope. And then four months later, I was back in his office getting diagnosed with mono. So I was like, okay, um, touche, you were correct. <laughs> So I think part of it is just noticing, and we, we so normalize uh, not feeling good in our bodies. So many people normalize, oh, I have headaches all the time, or I have back pain all the time, or I have mm. reflux, or I have um, whatever, right? We normalize not feeling good because so many people don't feel good in their bodies. And that's really what got me into this work. I started to unmute myself because I had all these health issues, chronic ear, nose, and throat infections, acid reflux. And for me, the beginning of my journey, 
was to start to get curious and explore how food could be connected to those things. And so I did that, um, you know, in my, gosh, about 10 years ago, I really started down that path, discovered certain foods that were triggering some of my symptoms, eliminated those foods, started to feel better, realized, oh my gosh, my body had something to tell me. And the symptoms were a signal for me to pay attention. And once I paid attention to the to those symptoms that were signaling something and I gave it what it needed, it started to heal. I was like, oh, I, how come no one ever told me this? How come they were just like, here's a pill or here's a surgery? Like, how come no one ever told me? So I that really started, that was really what initially, what I feel like woke up a lot of this unmuting was my own journey with discovering what was affecting my health. So I think for a lot of people, one is getting clear and thinking about what are some symptoms, even just making a list, what are some things, even if you brush it off, you normalize it, what are some things that you notice that perhaps you're muting in your body? Which one of those feels like something that is most accessible for you to work on first? Like start with where you're gonna have the greatest likelihood of success first. Don't do the hardest thing first, <laughs> like don't be right. Um, I think there's another bucket of um, muting ourselves that happens at work. So notice, where do you notice, where do you find yourself silencing yourself or not speaking up um, or not sharing an idea or not asking a question or not advocating for yourself at work? Like, where do you see this happening to even at the end of a week or at the end of a day, even if you do an inventory for a week, right? Or just do a daily inventory for just one week and say, notice, what are the situations under what circumstances do I tend to mute myself? Do I tend to suppress what I really think? Um, what might that be about? Who could I talk to about that that is safe that could help me process how to handle that differently, perhaps? So I think one, like kind of doing that inventory at work, doing that inventory in regard to your interpersonal relationships. So where do you notice that you're muting yourself in your interpersonal relationships? Is there a certain person? Are there certain circumstances under which you do that? Um, this is where I really think therapy is a huge benefit. I mean, I process this stuff with my therapist every week and she is what's called, for anyone listening, looking for kind of a different kind of therapist, she's a somatic therapist. And so she is trained in mind-body integration. And she is a, a rolfer, which rolfing is myofascial release. So a lot of trauma and emotional stress and tension gets stored in our tissues. So she knows how to unlock the physiology. And then she's also a psychotherapist. So she knows how to navigate the mind piece too. So she is like, a gold mine for like support because she constantly has me come back to my body when I start to go off on something. She'll be like, okay, wh okay, wh where are you, where are you noticing that in your body right now? Where are you noticing that? I notice it here. And what does it feel like? It feels tight. Okay, sit with that for a moment, right? Like, how often do we not do that? <laughs> like, most people don't ever take the time to have that self check, and so she's teaching me how to do that more effectively to kind of, you know, have those have those checks and helping me navigate some having those conversations with family members. And then I think another domain, a fourth domain is creative expression. So in what aspects of your voice that, you know, is connected to your creativity, whether it's visual arts or, or, or poetry or writing or blogging or singing or, um, you know, moving dance. Uh, anything like that, right? Sport, what is it that is your form of kind of physical or creative expression? And when is the last time you did something that uh, activated that in some way? And what's one small step? So for me, my primary form of creative expression is singing. And it was something that for a very long time, I just was like, mm, push it aside, push it aside, push it aside. And now it's part of who I am. I mean, I 
if somebody says if somebody says something to me and it reminds me of a lyric, I'll just like immediately go in my head to like wanting to just drop a lyric. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll burst into song, you know, like, um, but it's just part of who I am now, you know, and I don't have the same fear. I still get a little nervous, um, but I don't, I'll sing in front of thousands of people on a keynote, you know, that would have been mortified to do before. So I'd say like looking at those buckets, looking at the bucket of your body, looking at the bucket of your career, looking at the bucket of your interpersonal relationships and looking at the bucket of creative expression and really get reflecting on where am I muting myself and what is one place in one of these buckets that I could start with where I feel like I could have the greatest potential for success. And I just want to throw out there because I was this person 10 years ago and beyond and previously where I, I would listen to what you're saying and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, Rachel. Okay. Get in touch with my body, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm not that person anymore, but man, I used to be. And for anybody that's in that, in that realm a little bit, I just want to say, I want you to think about how much anxiety you've suffered in the past week alone and how much discomfort that's caused you. And now imagine not having any of that. Mm. And that helps maybe buy into some of what you're saying. You don't look like you suffer from a super huge load of anxiety on a, on an hourly basis. <laughs> not hourly, but there is, re- again, there are reasons why, <laughs> including from the accident last year, which we can talk about too, but um, my brain has definitely shifted over the past 18 months. And so it's mm. been even harder, you know, dealing with post-traumatic stress of, I, I do feel like I deal with it in a different way than I used to, um, just because certain areas of my brain are just more hot wired than they used to be before my accident. And so I think that's why I found such benefit from, from therapy. So anyone listening, I would encourage to go to therapy, send me a message. If you want to, if you want to like recommendation for how to find a good therapist, I'm more than happy to, to share resources that might be helpful. So if you're on the fence, this is your sign. Awesome. And you can find all the links to get in touch with Rachel and her website in our show notes. As, as always. And just to go back to what Tara said, you know, Tara talked about carrying this for a week. I want to focus on this idea that if you, if you carry that for a year, you carry that for multiple years, it's going to show up in your body. And, and you have those health problems. And so how many people... Tara and I are both recovering from also, you know, acid reflux and, and taking Tums and, and, you know, all the things without realizing, by the way, it's gone away for both Tara and I. And I think it's just a change in the way we think, a change in our lifestyle. It's not about throwing, you know, drugs at it. Um, but but I, 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 I call it the system. I'm not, you know, unique saying this. It's the body mind. The body can influence the mind. The mind can influence the body. And we need to understand there's a connection there. And if something's showing up in a physical sense, uh, maybe changing the way we think can, can help. Uh, and I, I hear that in what you're saying. We're, we're kind of running out of time. And I, I could probably do this conversation for another couple hours. This is a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but how can people get in touch with you, Rachel? If they want to work with you and they say, wow, uh, Rachel's amazing. Uh, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah. So the easiest way is, um, you can go to my website, which is unmutedlife.com. And, um, there's a, you know, ways to get in touch with me on there. Also LinkedIn, I'm super active on LinkedIn. And so if someone connects on LinkedIn, sends me a LinkedIn message says that, you know, found out from the show, um, that's, that's, that's a good way 
to, to connect as well. So I would say those two, if you're on Instagram, you can message me at unmuted life on Instagram. <laughs> so I'd say pick your poison. One of those three website, LinkedIn, Instagram, and, um, that'd be the best way to do it. Good. Awesome. Excellent. And all in the show notes. Perfect. And then Rachel, before we uh, say goodbye today, we want to ask you about failure. Uh, we love this topic. We ask everybody about it. We've all got loads of failures, but we would like to know what one of your significant failures are that you're willing to share, what you learned from it, what you want to pass on to listeners. It's all yours. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was right when I started this professional speaking training, I was approached by someone to write a book together. And it sounded, I was like an answer to like prayer. I mean, it was just seriously, I was like, this, this is unreal. The, the fact that this was coming through to me the way that it was. And so I was working on this book for about a year and a half. I had written about 40,000 words. It was really going to be in my voice. And, but some part of me noticed I was holding certain things back and I was like, I don't know. And then we were moving forward and we were looking at, a, you know, a, a contract with the agent and that kind of stuff. And I was just like, something doesn't feel right here. And I'm just... I'm holding myself back and I, I just don't know what this is about, but I'd put so many hours of work into this thing. So then COVID hits, right? The week that the lockdown hit the States, I get reached out to by the person that would have been my agent to say, Hey, um, we really believe in you and we believe in this project, but we're going a different direction in our business. And I literally felt like I'd been punched in the gut. <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh, like I've just spent all this work doing this. And now this is not, this is like legit not happening. This is like the one thing that I thought was stable in the midst of having to reinvent my entire business in the midst of COVID, recover from a car accident, like all this stuff. You've got to be kidding me. And I, I, I wept. It was like a guttural weeping. You know, when you have like a really ugly cry. I mean, it was like that. And now as I look back on that, I'm like, that felt like such a huge loss. And that felt like, gosh, what did I screw up to lose that opportunity? That seemed like such a given. And now I'm in a position of reinitiating that conversation, but with somebody else that and I'm going to write my book. I'm not going to write somebody else's book. I'm not going to write somebody else's book in my voice. <laughs> I'm going to write my book. And I look back and I think, you know what? I'm kind of glad that even with the timing of that, 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 that happened the way that it did, because that's not the book I was supposed to write. Even though I'd written 40,000 flipping words of it, that's a book. There was so much time and I look back at that and I was like, this is the worst thing ever. And now 18 months later, I'm like, you know what? I think that was exactly what was supposed to happen because that wasn't the book. So I guess, I don't know, the encouragement or lesson in there <laughs> is to allow for redirections in your life. I remember there's a line I heard, I think it was Lisa Turkhurst, an author said like, uh, rejection is just redirection. Right. And so maybe for me, that was a, so for anyone listening, if you're experiencing some kind of rejection right now and you're like, how do I get over this? Maybe it's a redirection that you wouldn't have even thought to pursue, but that's actually going to end up better for you in the end. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then. Join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.